Menno Middle got you down? Crush your sugar cravings with delicious, all-natural Bossa Bars from Menopause, created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. Try them at bossabars.com and save 10% every time with code KD10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Do you follow A Certain Age over on Instagram? If you do, you might have seen my recent Instagram poll asking listeners what show topics they want to see covered on the podcast. Hands down, the number one choice was caring for aging parents. Buckle up, beauties. We are diving into that topic today. I'm joined by caregiving expert Liz O'Donnell, a former marketing executive and mom of two. Liz is the founder of a caregiving community and podcast, both called Working Daughter, And she's the author of Working Daughter, A Guide to Caring for Your Aging Parents While Earning a Living. If you are struggling to care for an elderly parent or relative, struggling to have hard family conversations, or to find real-world practical caregiving tools, all while holding down a job and raising a family, stick around. This show is for you. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. I'm not surprised it's the number one uh, request. It is happening to everyone. And if it hasn't happened yet, it's it, it's coming. So I am really excited you're here. I'm excited to be exploring this with you. Uh, Liz, my open, I called you a caregiving expert, right? But like many of my listeners, your expertise came from the trenches rather than informal schooling. Can we open by having you tell us when and how you became active in advocating for women looking to balance career and elder care? Sure. I, um, I, my caregiving experience started with what I call the caregiving creep. Um, it's when you're going along as a busy woman, um, you know, maybe a working mother like I was, and you know, you think your life is full and then all of a sudden it's getting fuller and fuller. My parents were in their eighties. They needed help with pills and bills and mowing the lawn, you know, just little errands and, tasks around the house until eventually it was one full weekend day, you know, every week. And um, I remember then thinking like, whoa, this caregiving stuff is crazy. I need to um, figure this out and no one's talking about it. And um, I need to work on this. And um, then, you know, I didn't do anything about it. I didn't know what to do about it. And I was actually working on another book at the time um, my book had just come out about working motherhood that I was promoting. So this was kind of happening in the back of my mind. Then I got a call that something was wrong with my parents. And that's the second entry point oftentimes, um, for caregivers is, so there's the creep and then there's the crisis. And I got the crisis call and both of my parents were diagnosed with terminal illnesses on the exact same day within hours of each other. And my life was absolutely wild from that point on. And I felt alone and I felt unprepared. And somewhere in that chaos, I vowed that when I made it through this, I was going to help other people not be in that same situation. That must have been so incredibly traumatic. Did you have siblings? Were they able to help shoulder this load when you were trying to care for your parents during this really challenging time? I do. I'm one of three girls. I'm the youngest daughter. Um, and my, if you ask my sisters, uh, you know, about the experience, they would say they were there every step of the way. Um, if you were to ask me then I would have said they're nowhere, they're useless. Um, 
We love, we're here for honesty. So put those cards on, put those cards on the table, Liz. That's what we're here for. It helps to be honesty and caregiving. Um, Having written my book and for me as a writer, that's how I kind of work out my thoughts. And I'm like, oh, that's what I was feeling about this situation. I realized a couple things. One was my sisters were there every step of the way in the way that they show up. I show up like a steamroller when it comes to a crisis. I am really great at logistics. I'm really great at advocacy. I am large and in charge. And so my work pace was different than my sisters. Um, so they were there, but you know, they, and, and that's one thing I would say about siblings, your siblings don't have to show up and sign up at the same pace and the same intensity that you do. We all get to choose how we show up or not for our parents. And then looking back to probably, and I hate admitting this, but I was also probably not making enough space for them because my way was the right way. <laughs> uh, that It really is. I am one of four. My husband's one of five. You know, I, I'm very familiar with navigating family dynamics and different styles. And this was something that I wanted to um, talk about with you. So since it's come up, let's let's just sort of dive into it. If we are fortunate enough to have siblings... And maybe it doesn't need to be a sibling. Maybe your partner or your adult children can help you with your, you know, with the grandparents, or maybe it could be um, a cousin or somebody else in the family. But if we're looking to create equity in the caregiving workload, what might be one or two recommendations? And I think you maybe you touched on one, which is be accepting of other people's styles. But what for our listeners who are thinking, I really want more help from my siblings, what are some tactical recommendations? Yeah, I'd say two things. One is play into people's strengths. Um, so I had a sister who was out of state during this whole experience, and she is a talker. Like you, She's the person you cannot get off the phone. And I was never the call my mother every night kind of daughter. So um, she was calling me all the time. You know, what's going on? What happened today? I'm like, stop. Okay, because I was waking up at six in the morning. I had a spreadsheet at the time with a at its height had 196 to do items on it like you know call Verizon and cancel the phone at their house because they're moving to assisted living pay the lease go see the elder law attorney all that stuff so I was like I cannot chat with you but you know what you can do you can call mom and dad every night that's your strength you know you're the emoter you're the connector and then when you hear things I need to know you tell me so that became her role that was her strength my other sister was more of a, you know, I gave her long-term tasks because she was the one I call with the pace problem. Like, you know, we joke that she doesn't move slowly. She moves in reverse. So we knew <laughs> my, my, mom was, <laughs> my mom was diagnosed with um, stage four ovarian cancer at the age of 84. So opted for no treatment. So we knew that, you know, the doctors gave her about three months that we were probably looking at about three months. She was not the person to take today's action item. So it's like, you know what, go plan the funeral. You've got a couple months to do it. It's long-term. That's your role. Um, so play to people's strengths. And, you know, and like I said, I'm uh, really good with logistics and really good in a crisis. So I was like the, you know, the intense drill sergeant. That was my strength. Um, sometimes my husband would get mad at me. Like you're doing everything. Cause I was stressed out. I wasn't around much. You know, there was a lot of tension in our relationship as I was dealing with all this. And he would say, why don't you have your sister do it? And then sometimes, you know, to please, he's my husband. I would give a short-term task to a long-term worker and it would go awry. And I'm like, that's why. And so the second thing I say is caregiving is no time for magical thinking. My husband was engaging in magical thinking to think that my sister was going to work at a different pace than we knew she did. So find out each other's strengths, give up on the magical thinking. This is no time to wish your brother, sister, cousin, whoever's helping, you know, was better or different at tasks than they are. And then just 
accepted because caregiving for me, I, I believe it's an energy game for people. And so protect your energy, be mad at people later, you know, engage in drama later, but right now just focus on what you need to focus on. Excellent tactical recommendations. And I, and I, I hear what you say about magical thinking, because sometimes we wish our circumstances were different. And I, I actually just sort of had an experience with something recently, very minor, but where I, I was like, I had to remind myself, like, I have to actually go through this. The way out of this problem is through. And me hoping or wishing it were different is not going to make it so. And you really just need to recognize that what you need to do is like what's right in front of you. How are you having That's, those, you know, hard conversations with your parents, though? So your parents had a different maybe situation. They were presented with a horrible medical diagnosis that made it clear. But if people are beginning that caregiving creep, you know, how do you start having conversations with parents who might not want to give up or share control? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. And I, I mean, I did have the creep years where I knew my parents needed more and I was trying to have those conversations and I failed miserably. Um, so I'd say two things about that for any listeners who are failing miserably. I know I felt, felt this way and people tell me they feel this way all the time. Like I must be the only one who can't get my parents to move into assisted living. I think I'm the only one out there who can't get my dad to give up his car keys. This is not um, you know, we're dealing with human beings here. We're dealing with older adults who live their own lives, who, um, unless there's cognitive decline, have autonomy. So if you're not able to get them to do what you want, you know, I don't want you to think you're alone and you're the only one and you're a failure. We're dealing with other people's established lives. So what I would say, um, and what I did not do myself, but, you know, in research in the book, I um, talked to as many people as I could about how to make this work is, um, approach these conversations like a conversation, like a negotiation. This is not a one and done type of conversation. I think of it like, you know, when you go and ask for a raise, rarely do we walk into the boss's office and say, you know what, I deserve more. And they're like, yeah, here's 10 grand, right? It never <laughs> happens that way. It's like you build the case, you create the date, you know, the data set, you walk in, you broach the conversation. You know, hopefully your boss says they'll think about it. They might ask you for more information. They might shut you down. You come back at a better time, right? It's a process. Um, and I think oftentimes we approach these things like we're home for Thanksgiving or we pop in on the weekend to do, you know, to help them out with the task and we're busy and we're stressed and we're like, I need to solve this now. Like, you know, you can't live here anymore. <laughs> Not going to work. So um, approach it, like I said, as a process. And what I tell people is, open the conversation, push to the point of, un, you know, where you realize it's getting a little uncomfortable and then retreat and then come back another time. So and look for small wins. So, um, you know, mom, have you thought about moving? No, I'm never going to move. Boom. Okay. You know, and that conversation today, but then aunt Jane moves into some assisted living. Hey, aunt Jane is loving where she's living. And have you seen the activities there and you want to go check it out? fine, I'll go check it out, but don't think you're putting me in there. Okay. It's still a win. You're still getting your mother to go check out, you know, a senior living facility. And the other thing I think that we do wrong oftentimes, and I did it wrong every time was a, we approach these conversations by putting limits on our parent. Like for me, it was like, you know, you can't drive anymore, dad, you're crazy on the road. You know, that didn't go well. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine why all. Liz, I can't imagine why. <laughs> you know what he actually said to me? What? He said, I have 60 years 
years of experience. No one has more experience on the road than me. And I was like, ooh. How do you argue with that? I, How do you argue with that? Except I, yikes. I, yikes. Right? <laughs> I, first of all, I love all the questions that you asked, the sense of, um, you know, making the analogy to a workplace, how you might lobby for a raise. I think that feels really... Uh, familiar to people and really comfortable, the sense of like picking the right time and not expecting one magical conversation. We are going to yeah. be heading into a break, but when we return, I want to explore a little bit about uh, this work analogy and how you actually get your your boss or your colleagues maybe to help uh, understand the strain that you're under as you're caregiving. We'll be back after this quick break. We've all seen red light facial masks all over Instagram and beauty spas and dermatologists' offices. But did you know red light technology can also rejuvenate your pelvic floor, not just your face? As we age and lose estrogen, our skin, vagina, and intimate tissues get dry. The result? Painful sex, more UTIs, and increased bladder leakage. I've experienced all three. And let me tell you, they are zero fun. And it doesn't have to be this way. Meet Joy Lux, a sexual health and wellness company founded by women for women. Joy Lux offers a red light home use device called VFIT to rejuvenate your pelvic floor. This revolutionary device promotes vaginal wellness, natural lubrication, improves strength and sensation, and increases confidence, all from the privacy of home at a fraction of the cost of in-office options. Get your confidence back. Reconnect with your partner take charge of your intimate health. Who doesn't want easy-to-use at-home care? Sign me up and spread the word. Joy Lux has an exclusive code for certain age listeners. Take $50 off the VFIT with code KATIE50. That's katie five zero for $50 off. Head to joylux.com for the love of your V. Okay, Liz, we're back from the break. When we went into it, you shared a wonderful analogy about, you know, having a hard conversation with your parent and thinking of it as like, how do I lobby my boss for a raise, right? Because we, you know, we understand or how do we lobby, like when we were young, how do we lobby our parents to let us stay out later? Like, you, you know, you have to wear people down, essentially. Um, your, your book actually focuses not simply on elder care, but also how to care for yourself and your career and how to manage your life while you're being a caregiver. How do we show up for our ourselves in our work environment when we're feeling under great stress? Is there a way of getting your boss or colleagues to understand your caregiving uh, burden? Is that appropriate at work? Where do you land on this? Yeah, I am full of really hard definitive answers like it depends and maybe. <laughs> um, well, because uh, in the work I do and you know what I care about is making care uh, and career compatible. I wish for, again, there's that magical thinking, right? I wish for a world where we could bring our whole selves to work and people would recognize that your employees have lives and you better make space for them. Having said that, I think, you know, do I tell my boss what's going on? You need to read the room. I don't know what's happening in your workplace environment, you know, in your career. Um, so I just caution everybody to, you know, look around at the corporate culture and and make that decision with, you know, as much, um, sort of emotional intelligence as you can, right? Ideally, I think you want to operate, never surprise the boss, right? That's just, a, you know, whether you're caregiving or not, I think we should all operate like you don't want to ever surprise your boss. So if things are starting to get um, busy on the life front, you know, on the parent care front, 
then yeah, I think it's great to say, look, you know, my mom um, has been having a series of falls. I'm filling in for her. Maybe we can talk about what it might look like, you know, if I, if I get that phone call and I need to run out the door. I think that's the ideal. And what I encourage both employees and employers to do is have a don't ask, don't tell policy. So I think if we create an environment in the work world where I say to you, I need to leave next Friday at three, you don't ask me why. And I don't offer because I'm taking my mother to the podiatrist. Instead, I say, and here's what I have going on and here's how my work is going to be covered. And Susie in the next cube, you know, offered to fill in for me. And here's how you might be able to reach me or guess what? You won't be able to reach me, but here's when I'll be back online. So like, come, what are you accountable for? Right, coming how's with solutions. You, right, you're, you know, yeah. you're recommending that you come with solutions uh, right. versus coming with asks. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great model. Liz, we can't talk about caregiving without talking about the pandemic, right? The pandemic, the pandemic has completely changed the calculus of how we uh, experience work, how we experience caregiving, you know, how we experience the sandwich generation. There are people, you know, people who are caring for their aging parents are also managing the needs of, of children. You know, do you feel that we're having more on a, honest conversations around caregiving because of the pandemic? Could this be a silver lining or, or did the pandemic just create um, unmanageable situations that people have not yet recovered from or both? Well, both. I mean, it definitely, the, the, the pandemic has been brutal for caregivers and the elderly and like you said, working parents and above. So yes, there. I think we have to recognize that people are grieving, whether you lost someone during the pandemic, whether you lost time due to somebody being isolated during the pandemic, or you know, even if that's not the case, all of us, I think, are grieving what life used to be like and what we could kind of count on. So, so grief is you know, among us right now. So I think we need to be aware of that, but there are silver linings. And I think when so many people went home and went on Zoom, we went into each other's homes. And so I know for me as a working daughter, I was always so cognizant of, was I showing up professionally, even though my life was a complete disaster. I think when we all kind of zoomed into each other's homes, we all saw that our lives are all disasters, right? <laughs> Whether it was like, like you said earlier, you know, if somebody knocks on your door while we're doing this, Liz, we'll figure it out, right? If Whether the neighbor just showed up and didn't understand that, you know, you're still working, but you're on a computer Everybody, you know, so many of us got pets, all those pandemic puppies, they were barking in the background. So I think there was a great, you know, leveling of the playing field from that perspective. And that is only going to help because we witnessed through these computer screens that, oh, yeah, we all have lives. Exactly. And that they're not always pretty. If you could zoom into my life right now, you would see piles of laundry because my washing machine is broken. And it's just oh. like, you know, and they're like, we can fix it next week. I'm like, next week, you know, anyhow. Next so week. it's just, you know, that is the you know, life is, very, you know, quite often full of piles of dirty laundry. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, you're right. The pandemic made us more mindful of, of sort of our shared humanity. Um, for yes. people who are listening to this, who are already in the thick of, of caregiving, they know exactly what you're talking about. But right now, both of both sets of my parents and really my my in-laws are are um, healthy and independent, and I'm grateful for that. But you know, I'm cognizant of that that um, that that could change. What steps should I be taking? What steps you know steps should listeners be taking? 
for this day when we inevitably need to step up? Because I'm not even fully at the creep mode yet. Like you're talking about creep and crisis. You know, how do Mm -hmm. we what should we be doing so we're not shocked when, you know, if, if the crisis does erupt? I think it's having those conversations that we were talking about a few minutes ago. And the other thing I would say about those conversations is approach them with equal parts courage and compassion. So the courage to have conversations that as a society we have been conditioned or not, you know, comfortable or nice, like, hey, mom, you're going to get old and sick or die someday. Let's talk about it. Right. I mean, obviously, that's not the approach. But as a society, we're not comfortable about it. It is such a gift if you can have that conversation. So the courage to start it and the compassion to understand that it's a, you know, it can be a scary prospect for you and your parent to think about these phases. And and one of the other things I would say about those conversations is approach them as possibilities, not limitations. So not the way I said, like, you know, you can't live here anymore. You know, you can't drive anymore. But have you thought about your next phase of life and what's most important to you? And maybe they say it's living in this home forever. Excellent. So then, you know, should we talk about grab bars in the bathroom and taking up the rugs for falls? And would you someday be open to somebody coming in and helping out around the house? If we create, if we, if we phrase these conversations, you know, more compassionately as what's possible, as opposed to what's limiting, then that will really help. And then, you know, if you can open the door to those conversations, then you can get into the nuts and bolts. And I would say, if you're thinking about that planning phase, it's, you know, healthcare proxy, it's, do you know who your parents' doctors are? Are they willing to give you passwords? Are they willing to add you to a bank account or make you a a power of attorney? Um, So so what are the legal implications, the medical implications, and can you talk to them about living? You know, are they going to age at home? Are they going to move out? And your book covers some of this, but for somebody who's thinking, you know, I need a crash course in caregiving, like I need caregiving 101, you know, you've outlined some of the things that are on the syllabus. Uh, where can people educate themselves about what I actually, they need to be uh, asking? Working Daughter actually has a program. It's only like $26. It's... Um, all delivered via video and online. And it's called Caregiving 101. And it answers the question, where do I begin? And it takes you through, this is the medical information to pull together and how this is the legal information. So because that, I mean, the where to begin is so hard. Um, Or you can also in the book, there's a, you know, a chapter that takes you through that. And the book is pretty much available, not only on Amazon, of course, but in any library. So um, the content is as accessible and free as I could make it. I lo- First of all, I love that I asked you, where can we find Caregiving 101? And you're like, my website. <laughs> I was like, I should have spent some more time on it. I was on it and I missed that. So I love that you've already created that syllabus that I was asking about. Super, super smart. What happens if somebody is sitting here thinking, I'm, I am I wish I had a sibling, you know, to, to have a difficult conversation with, or I feel very alone. I have several friends from high school who are only children that really had to shoulder the, the elder care burden themselves, and it was really difficult. What advice, other than just sort of be kind to yourself, would you give somebody who's navigating this relatively solo? I would say, you know, figure out, how you can build yourself a team and it can be, you know, the friend that you can vent to all the time. Who's never going to get sick of listening to you whining. Cause you deserve to um, it's the, you know, is there someone on your parents' team, whether it's, you know, the nurse in their primary care physician's office or at their specialist office who, you know, is on the same page as you. And you, you know, you know, you can advocate with, and you can bounce ideas off of 
Um, you know, so, so there's a, or if your parents are living in, you know, senior living, is there one particular staff member who you feel really gets your parent really gets you and really cultivate those relationships. So build the team. Um, and then I would say, yeah, you, you mentioned like, be kind to yourself. We need to be, um, cognizant of the fact that people are living longer. They're often, when people live longer, they're living longer with chronic illnesses. So this is a new phenomenon that we're going through. And we are figuring out in real time how to create and support a life, you know, for a hundred years, say. And it is all falling to the family members. There's a shortage of paid caregivers and we haven't done enough in this country and I won't go down the soapbox, right? But to support our seniors. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, I really encourage you to look in the mirror and remind yourself that you did show up and what you did do because we are being called on to be nurses, financial advisors, social networks, errand runners, and daughters and sons all at the same time. So it is easy to get caught up in what you didn't get to. So you have to train yourself to give yourself a pat on the back for the fact that you did do something. And are there, um, you know, I mean, I remember your, when I was in high school, this was years ago, I used to go volunteer uh, for community service at Mary Manning Walsh, which was the uh, assisted living facility in, in upper Manhattan. And we spent time with, um, you know, seniors who were lonely. And I, while I do a lot of volunteering in my community, I have not done anything, you know, with, with um, you know, the elderly community or the, like the maturing community in years. Are there organizations that you would point our listeners to that they might not be aware of that are providing some of the social support or, or that um, give sort of caregivers um, resources or might help create this sort of social fabric and important, crucial social network for our aging communities that we're not aware of? Uh, there aren't any that come to mind for seniors. I would say, though, everybody has an area on aging um, and or an area agency on aging. And so that's a great place to start. If there is a senior living facility um, in your neighborhood, they're often looking for volunteers, you know, to come to bingo, to just, you know, create a multi-generational environment um, that obviously shut down for a couple of years, but is opening up again. And then for caregivers themselves, I think it's really important that you find some kind of online community like ours. And there are others where you can go online 24 seven and you can talk about things that you don't necessarily talk about in polite company, like, you know, bathroom incidences, or you can say, I can't take it one more day without somebody, you know, coming back in your face and saying, you should be grateful that your mother's still alive, right? Places where you can just have hold two thoughts at the same time, speak freely, talk about the good stuff and the bad stuff. But I think community is so important for caregivers. Yeah, absolutely. And how do we model this for our children? I mean, you went through caring for your parents, you know, in their um, during their decline with managing your own family life. How do we get our kids uh, sort of pulled in? Is there a way of where, where, where do you land on having them be helpful, be an important part of the family unit, and also giving them space not to be, you know, consumed in the way that that a, a, I'm asking this question because my mother, um, when, when when her own father was, um, you know, in his final year, he spent a year in a, a, a home in Rhode Island, and she spent every weekend driving to Rhode Island and back. And we would go with her sometimes, but you know, I'm sitting here now in the cheap seats, thinking, God, I probably could have done more. Where do you, how do we get our adult kids involved? Where, where do you think the, the boundaries should, should lie? Or is it, again, it depends. 
I, I think it definitely, I mean, I think it depends on our kids. And I think we have to trust that we know our kids and we have to trust that our kids are resilient and they know what they're capable of too. I remember during, you know, when the crisis happened and I was really in the thick of things and I was meeting this with this hospice nurse determined if my mother was ready to be a hospice candidate. And she kind of made this assumption that I, you know, didn't work and that I could just be at my mother's side 24 seven. And I pulled her out into the hall and I was at my wits end. And so I was very blunt. And I just said, you know, I have a dad who's locked in memory care down the hall. I have a husband and two kids I haven't seen in weeks. I have a job that's going to hell, you know, and I don't appreciate that you made all these assumptions that I have nothing else going on. And she was really compassionate and she heard me and she said, okay, I get it. She happened to be a single mother of two teenage girls. She's like, so let's rework this. Your dad, you don't worry about him right now. Your mom has three months to live. You can deal with your dad later, um, but you have to focus on your mom. Your dad is being handled by professionals. He'll be okay for the next couple months. Your job, she goes, you can't lose that job. So we're going to come up with a new plan, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we talked about that. And she said, your husband and kids, she said, don't worry that you haven't been home in weeks and that you won't be home for dinner in weeks. She said, you are modeling for them what unconditional love looks like. And that is so much more important than being home for dinner right now. So that just moved me and struck me. And I realized, you know, you talked about modeling. I was modeling for my kids what being a family member, what, you know, loving and caring look like. And then, you know, with my kids, I would just ask them. And I think, you know, this all started when they were like, I don't know, eight and 10 and you know, all the way up through 14 and 16 or something, you know, I think it's time to say goodbye to Papa. He's really sick. Do you want to come in? Is, you know, there's no judgment. There are round, you know, there's a, you're going to have so many different feelings. If you would rather go play kickball, I will never judge you. That's what you need right now. If you do want to go see him and say goodbye, then I'm going to support you. But like everybody does this differently. It looks differently for all of us. There is no one right way. If you hadn't had that honest conversation with the nurse, you would never have would, would have received that um, generous and supportive answer. And I think that's been the thread of everything that you've shared during this uh, conversation today is that you have to be, you know, be willing to be brave to have those those difficult conversations. And we don't get a lot of practice in it. And, and we get kind of, you know, it's like we're pulled up um, at a very important, you know, inning in the baseball game, you know, and so that's why I'm so delighted that you came on the show today to talk about this um, with people who may be on the precipice of this or sort of are beginning to navigate it. Um, I want to continue to explore this topic on the show because I know that there are there are so many different elements that we could talk about in different angles. I'm going to encourage everybody who's listening who does not yet have a copy of the book, Working Daughter, A Guide to Caring for Your Aging Parents While Earning a Living, or, you know, I would add, or just having a life, you know, whatever yeah. you're doing, <laughs> that that you, um, you know, find this resource and, and, and have these honest conversations. Liz, I've really appreciated this. We're going to move into our speed round because our time is coming to a close. And, and this is pretty simple. It's just a lightning round with a one or two word answer. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, writing working daughter was? Cathartic. A tech tool that helps with elder care needs. Oh, I mean, for me, it was Excel. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's the camera on your iPhone. Take pictures of the healthcare proxy, the insurance cards. It can be that simple. You don't need complicated apps. I love that. Okay. A caregiving book or podcast you recommend as a resource. I'm obviously putting yours in the show notes, but is there something, <laughs> well, thank you. Is there something else? The book Being Mortal by Atul Gawande is, gets you thinking, gets your head in the right place. 
Fantastic. Every day, people are facing the same steep learning curve on caregiving, right? Once they are thrown into it and it, that, that crisis moment happens, what's the one thing you wish they knew to do? To have their own life even while they're managing somebody else's. Fantastic. We need to demand this elder care resource from our elected officials. So this is your soapbox chance. What should we be demanding of the people that represent us? Paid leave. Paid leave. All right. Fantastic. Caregiving is a marathon. What lifestyle choice or hack fuels you for the long run? Meditation. And finally, your one-word answer to complete the sentence. As I age, I feel? Grateful. Grateful. All right. Thank you, Liz. This has been such an important and, and um, special conversation. Thank you for coming on and sharing more about your work and your book and your community. Before we say goodbye, how can um, A Certain Age listeners find you and, and, and all of the resources that you offer? It's so simple. Workingdaughter.com takes you to Working Daughter, the book, Working Daughter, the Facebook group, Working Daughter, the membership. So workingdaughter.com. All right. Thank you so much, Liz. This has been terrific. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when I talk with stylist Daisy Gillespie of The Mindful Closet. We dive into editing your closet, building capsule wardrobes, and mindful consumption in a world of excess. Before we say goodbye, I have a favor to ask. Please take a minute to rate or review A Certain Age Pod over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This is so easy to do. Just find A Certain Age on your podcast app, scroll down to the bottom, and tap on the stars to rate or leave a written review. Both help the show grow. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties.